Our Gospel reading is from St. Mark, chapter 4, beginning at verse 26, the parable of the growing seed. Hear the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory be to you, O Lord. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, this year, for the very first time, Sean and I have been growing vegetables. And they're not very big, but they taste delicious. Sugar snap pea, there are more than one, and broad beans, and some of them are much bigger than this. They smell good, taste good, and they do you lots of good as well. We're thrilled, and it's been a real sort of joy. A lot of you will know so much about gardening, so much more than Charles and I ever will, and you've already experienced that uh, working with nature to enable those good things to be sown and grown and harvested. But the thing that Jesus teaches in this very short, pithy parable is hugely significant. And it's in this one word, and it's translated from the Greek, autome, all by itself, the soil produces the corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. All by itself, autome. He's talking about the particular type of soil that is being uh, the, the soil that produces this growth. And it's like, it could be translated, the automatic earth. I remember this from my Greek, a little bit of Greek I did in the uh, theological college. But the the literal translation is the automatic earth does this. And I've always remembered that. And it makes sense of the way in which nature somehow works this miracle. There's something within the soil that enables this to happen. That it's God's activity of life-giving love that is behind these things. For God's work is to produce a harvest. He's a God of growth. And in this letter we're reading, in James, in this chapter 3, we read of God's desire to grow in us a harvest of righteousness. That's desire that God has for us, to grow a, a harvest of righteousness. 
To sow in peace is something that enables that harvest of righteousness to occur. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness, verse 18. Contrary, in the, on the contrary, he says that if you sow in discord and strife, then there's not going to be a harvest that will produce glory to God or peace amongst people. So the point he's making, really, both Jesus and James, James, of course, being Jesus' brother, is that the soil is where you sow into is the crucial thing. And that's something we'll come back to in a moment. But we find the same principle at work in the body. It does matter, doesn't it, what you put into your body, what you eat. Being a diabetic, I'm particularly aware of that. If I eat lots of lovely cakes, which I'm very tempted to, especially on Thursdays, my blood sugars will go sky high and it'll do me a lot of harm. At first, I will feel so tired. And, well, at first, I feel great because they taste so good. And then I very quickly have too much blood sugar and I go low, really horrible, and feel exhausted and grumpy, and it's no good to anybody. And then, of course, the long-term effects of uncontrolled diabetes uh, are devastating, life-threatening. We'll see Wimbledon starting tomorrow. And what will they be doing in this weather? Drinking loads and loads of water to keep their, themselves hydrated. So what happens on the physical is also true on the, the spiritual, the inner life. And nowhere more clearly uh, spelt out is this, perhaps, than in the beginning of the book of Psalms, in Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. In other words, they're not, life isn't planted in those places where there is sinfulness, mockery, scorn, wickedness. But those who are blessed have their delight in the law of the Lord, God's ways. And on his law, on his word, they meditate, they reflect, they take in, they absorb day and night, night and day, those things. And those people are like trees planted by streams of water. They're not like in the desert. They're like planted by the water, which yield their fruit in season. Those leaves do not wither, and whatever they do prospers. There's bearing fruit because not that they're great people. Well, they are good people. But the key to their goodness, of course, is where they're planted and where their roots are. This way of living, where we give our time and best energies to seeking to be close to God, to meditating on the scriptures, and to receiving goodness from him, to gathering for worship, to praise his name, to receive fellowship and love and affirmation and encouragement from one another is a way of producing harvest that God is producing. So we need to be rooted. No root, no shoot, no fruit. Very simple. 
And my soil here is the thing that is incredibly significant. This is the compost which I mix together with some organic matter that went into a piece of ground that just had dogwood on it before. And we cleared a couple of the dogwood trees. That wasn't easy. We managed to do it. The ground was quite infertile. So following the advice of Monty, we dug in all this organic matter uh, and this compost as well to enrich the soil. And as a result of that, we're now seeing the good crops of lettuce and cabbage and beans and peas and all those other lovely things. But if I hadn't have done that, then there would have been no... Well, there might have been a tiny crop. Carrots as well, not carrots. And that simply means... And this is such a simple point, isn't it? I'm sorry I'm laboring it, but it's, it's something that is crucial to what it means of, to be a disciple of Jesus. That ere we have soil and water and feeding of our inner life, then those things, the fruits of the Spirit, the peace, the strength, and the gradual realignment of our priorities according to God's purposes begin to take shape. And we become people who are good for others and good for our world. People who, as St. James puts it, are able to tame their tongue, who have the strength to control something that is so dangerous and that can go do such a lot of harm and yet something that can do such a lot of good. It can also give us that capacity for wisdom to know how to say the things and do the things that will build others up. And James, after he's talked about the significance of the tongue, he talks about wisdom and he asks a very simple question. Who are wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good lives, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now can you see how he's describing humility that comes from wisdom, rather like a soil from which comes the fruit of good deeds. Same principle again at work. And it's really interesting and significant as we go forward in practical terms as to what it means to be a, a person after God's heart and is producing, making a difference in our world, producing the fruit of the Spirit, etc. That the deeds that we do are rooted in humility that comes from wisdom. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about wisdom, doesn't it? How you get wisdom... Andy's been doing a Bible study on wisdom and uh, can tell you all about the things he's taught from the book of Proverbs in his home group as well. But the key verse that we all probably know about wisdom is that the beginning of wisdom starts in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says the writer of the Proverbs. In other words... We're talking again about humility. 
It's not fear as a oh, sort of fear. It's about the reverence, the awe, the awe in which we hold God. The place of submission that we put ourselves in. The lowest place with God in the highest place. That's the fear of the Lord. So it's humility that is at the heart of it. Another proverb in Proverbs chapter 3, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. So if you're looking to receive grace, grace to help in time of need, grace in your relationship with somebody else who's really offended you, who you feel angst towards, if you've had an argument with them, or whether you see things so differently that you just thought, I can't go along with that and I feel I just don't want anything more to do with them, then that sort of is verging towards the pride, isn't it? The opposite of humility. Because God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And humility is found in something that is actually possible for us to uh, achieve ourselves. Later in James, in the next chapter, James has this wonderful phrase in verse 10, which is crucial for our understanding about humility and the wisdom that comes from that. He says, simply humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And the implication of that, of course, is that although God does humble us sometimes, he never humiliates us. But there is a sense in which we can choose by choosing to be people who uh, are able to come away from a, a, an attitude of pride and I'm right and selfish ambition, but to humble ourselves and choose that way of humility, as Jesus chose to humble himself and become obedient, obedient unto death on the cross, as Paul writes in Philippians. So we humble ourselves before the Lord as we come in repentance, as we come in submission, as we come recognizing He is Lord, then we'll be in a great place to have the wisdom that is needed to live a life that is fruitful. John Piper, a contemporary theologian, wrote this, Every good thing in the Christian life grows in the soil of humility. Without humility, every virtue and every grace withers. That's why John Calvin said, humility is the first, the second, and third in the Christian faith. <laughs> I love that. John Calvin, that great reformer, who brought the church back to a place of recognition of what Christ has done on the cross, the only way to receive that for ourselves is to humble ourselves and say, Lord, 
I can't do anything without your forgiveness, your grace, your love released. And I receive that. It's the lesson that my dad only learned about a year before he died. He had emphysema. And he, I always remember, he, you know, he really struggled with this, I'm okay, I want to be independent, and didn't want to have help from other people, and wanted to be at the center of things. And I really loved my dad, but the way in which he lived in that attitude, I knew he could never experience the full grace that God wanted to give him. It was only when he humbled himself he was on an Alpha day, and he broke down in tears, hearing about the cross. And uh, he was in a wheelchair, couldn't, knew he couldn't do anything. He was a great rugby player, played for, had trials for Wales, didn't actually play for Wales. But uh, it was only when he was in that place where he was able to receive that he said, Joe, would you come and pray for me? And he had enough humility to ask me to pray for him, to receive Christ and be blessed with the Holy Spirit. His life was utterly different after that. He really was a new man. He was born again spiritually. He died a year later with the words on his mouth, peace, be still. Those were his last words. And I said, I was just talking to him, you know, and as you do just before somebody dies. And I was going on about how much he's loved and all this sort of thing. And he just said, peace be still. And I said, do you want me to shut up, Dad? And he just nodded his head. And a few minutes later, he passed into the peace that passes all understanding. And it was because he received the gift of grace because he had found the soil of humility at last in his life. So not to want to be the best and the centre of everything, but to receive the love of Christ for himself. Without humility, every virtue, every grace with us. That's why Calvin said humility is first, second and third in the Christian faith. So the question for us this evening, as we ponder in the week ahead, what am I rooting my life in? What am I filling my life with? And is it feeding me in a way that good fruit can be produced? Am I seeking and praying for the wisdom that comes from humility? Let us pray. Lord, you've said that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Lord, we pray for that kind of wisdom, that we would indeed humble ourselves so that we might be that soil into which you can plant and grow the things that we long to see, not only in ourselves, but in those close to us too.
Transform us, Lord, from within, we pray. <coughs> so that we might be people who honour you, bless you and transform others through the plans you have for us for the rest of our lives. Amen. <coughs>